This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this five-part series, I visit with Jerry Coyne. Jerry is the Managing Director of State Monitoring Services at Affiliated Monitors. We consider the use of monitors by state attorneys general. In part one, we take a look at the role of state AGs as enforcer. In part two, the reaction to the big tobacco settlement and criticism of state attorneys general. Part three, the multi-state settlements in the post-tobacco era. Part four, challenges of multi-state litigation today. And part five, we take a look at the road ahead. It's a fascinating series. I know you will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. In this episode one, we introduce the topic of the role of state attorney generals as enforcers in civil litigation for violations of state law and their right to bring litigation in the name of the state. This special five-part series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and we are back with another five-part podcast uh, exploration with um, one of the managing directors at Affiliated Monitors. Today, I have with me Jerry um, Coyne. Jerry is the uh, managing director of monitoring state monitoring operations at Affiliated Monitors, and we're going to take a look at the use of monitors by states' attorneys general an area that has really not been, I think, fully explored in the compliance community. So, Jerry, first of all, um, thank you for taking the time to visit with me. Thanks for having me. So, Jerry, um, I was wondering, you have a, a certainly a unique background, background in the compliance community, um, but it certainly lends itself to your new role as Managing Director of State Monitoring Operations at Affiliated Monitor. So I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about your professional background. Sure. Um, I'm a lawyer by trade. I began my career as a lawyer in the United States Navy, and after that, um, became a criminal prosecutor for the Rhode Island Attorney General's Office. I did that for several years and then left the office briefly. I returned in 1999 as what they call the Chief Deputy Attorney General, which meant that I kind of ran the daily operations for the office. I 
did that for the next three attorneys general over 20 years, and I retired finally in December of this past year, 2018. Jerry, I was wondering if uh, you could tell us a little bit, uh, certainly using your professional experience, but also your wider knowledge of states' attorney generals across the United States. What is their role as enforcers of both civil and criminal law? Tom, in many ways, they are an emerging, they're a very powerful group. Their power continues to grow, and it continues to grow um, when the states feel regardless of which party is in power, that the federal government is either not doing enough or doing too much. Um, but the state attorney generals over the past really 25 years have really grown in terms of how active they are and the power that they've exercised. Across the country, all attorneys general have similar powers on the civil side, which involves things like consumer protection. It involves things like environmental enforcement. It involves things like regulating charitable trusts. There's also three states in the country that have no district attorneys. So the attorney general is both the civil side attorney general and the criminal prosecutor for the state. Rhode Island was one of those three states. And uh, the other uh, topic that I think we should probably talk a little bit about today is what we call Medicaid fraud control units, which are federally funded in almost every attorney general's office and have enormous jurisdictional power to enforce um, both state and federal law as to Medicaid fraud. So, Jerry, what would you say are the two most important enforcement areas uh, for state's attorney general? I think the two most important would be the antitrust laws and the consumer protection laws. Antitrust is something that the states have historically not um, gotten as involved in as I think they are now and will be in the future. Antitrust is one of those areas of the law where the states, I think, look to the federal government to see if the federal government is going to be enforcing um, federal antitrust law. But what we're seeing more and more now is if the federal government has declined um, to exercise its jurisdiction, the states have shown um, that they are willing to, and particularly the larger states, the New York, California, states that are more robust in terms of resources. But every state has a consumer protection division, and it is really through the enforcement of consumer protection laws that attorneys general across the country have, have really increased their power and their role. Jerry, uh, as an aside, uh, one of the great prides of uh, being a lawyer in Texas is that the state of Texas passed a antitrust law literally in the 1870s and enforced that long before the passage of the Sherman Act. And that's taught uh, in every business law uh, class uh, I ever attended um, here in Texas. So that sort of robust enforcement, I think, is something that we've seen really in a lot of areas from state's attorney general. During this uh, podcast series, we're going to explore some of these, but antitrust, uh, certainly consumer protection, and that really leads into uh, the, the biggest one, I think, probably during my professional career, and that's the, uh, the massive and uh, significant litigation uh, around big tobacco, which uh, really happened in the starting in the last decade of uh, the last century. You want to tell us a little bit about that and the role of the state's attorney general? Absolutely. I describe that as the case that changed everything, because that is, in my mind, kind of the emergence of the modern state attorney general's offices. Up until the mid-1990s, as you point out, there had been a number of states um, 
including Texas, including, like I say, some of the larger ones who were very active. But in terms of taking on major national um, defendants, the states had never successfully really bonded together. So in the 1990s, a number of states across the country had begun to file suits against uh, really the four major tobacco companies at the time. And what they were trying to do was to recover the medical costs of um, tobacco treatment. For the very first time, the states in, in, the, in, the tobacco, in the tobacco case finally got together and sued as one. So 46 states and the federal government came together, as well as the territories. And that was the first major case where the attorneys general saw just how powerful they could be to take on what up until that point was probably the most well-funded and the most um, powerful defendant that was out there, which was the big tobacco. So how did uh, did typically what I had seen previous to that time, Jerry, was perhaps multiple lawsuits were filed and a federal judge might consolidate them in multi-district litigation. But this was something different. This was where the state's attorney generals seemed to really take the lead. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about was, uh, at least from your perspective? Well, I, I think what had happened was that there were, for the first time, a recognition that um, all the states had a common interest. Uh, there, were, there were suits being filed across the country. And it, what was interesting was that some of the states that really emerged as the leaders um, at the attorney general level in the tobacco case were not the states who you traditionally would expect to see in that role. Um, for example, North Dakota and Attorney General Heidi Heitkamp that went on to become a U.S. Senator was very active in it. Um, the state of Vermont with Attorney General Bill Sorrell was very active, or Iowa with Attorney General Tom Miller. And these were states that just in terms of size would have never um, taken on a leadership role. But because of the common interest they, they, as well as the state of Mississippi, were among the leaders in bringing the states together and coming together as one, really one single entity for the very first time. So how did uh, that litigation uh, get resolved? I don't recall a massive trial, at least uh, with a uh, conclusion with a jury verdict. Was there a settlement? And if so, uh, how was that hammered out? Well, it was hammered out apparently over weeks and even months of negotiations, um, the bulk of which were in New York City. But it was a negotiating session that took months and months to finally accomplish. And what ended up happening was, as you point out, there never really was one single trial. What there was was a settlement that is several hundred pages long. Um, it's known as the Master Settlement Agreement. And in that agreement, um, every state and the original participating manufacturers, the four biggest tobacco companies at the time, um, came up with a very, very complex set of agreements uh, that resolved all of that litigation. And then how was that uh, master settlement agreement administered going forward? Tom, that's really, that's become the challenge because at the time, um, as in typical you know, litigation, there was going to be a flow of money coming to the states, and it was just an extraordinary flow of money um, that had been, it was unprecedented until that time. Much of the 
the types of tobacco ads and the tobacco culture that you and I grew up with all of a sudden was going to go away. Um, Joe Camel that people looked at as almost an iconic advertising image that appealed to children could no longer be used. Um, I remember for years, the Marlboro man looking down on times square, that ad went away. Um, lots and lots of television advertising, uh, all went away, but particularly what the attorney generals were focused on was the, uh, advertising done by the tobacco industry that was aimed at youth smokers and trying to get young people to smoke. And all of that was regulated by this settlement. Um, so it wasn't just a situation for the first time of money and money alone. It was money, but in return, there was a very complex set of conditions that were set going forward in terms of how the participating manufacturers could conduct business going forward. Uh, Jerry, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I hope our listeners will join us tomorrow where we really take up where uh, we're ending here and we're going to take a look at the reaction to the tobacco settlement and criticisms uh, of the attorneys general. So, Jerry, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of our five-part exploration of the use of monitors by state's attorneys general. If you need more information, check out the Affiliated Monitor website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you'll join us again for another episode in this uh, fascinating five-part series. I know you will enjoy it. This special five-part podcast series on the use of monitors by state's attorneys generals is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.